Welcome back to Stories Out of Time and Space, and I'm your regular host, Scott Weatherly. And as always, I'm joined by Julian Darius. Julian, how are you doing? I'm doing excellent, and I come in peace. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, I sometimes question whether you do. You know, you're coming in, attacking my theories, attacking my planet. No. So this week, I say we're going to jump on this quite quick, because it's... uh, I'd forgotten how much I enjoyed this film. Um, we're going to talk about this week. This week, we are going to be talking about the 1996 film Mars Attacks. Uh, Tim Burton film, uh, sci-fi comedy. And um, I'm going to say that right. I had a lot of fun with this film. I've got some, uh, there's some things I want to pick up on it, but I had a lot of fun with this film. Um, but yeah, Julian, what, what are your initial thoughts on uh, on Mars Attacks? Uh, I mean, this is a film that challenged me when it first came out. Um I, I have the same feeling that you do. I mean, I love this film. I love the zaniness of it. There's so mm-hmm. many things in this that I think of often enough. Um, but it also just doesn't work on other levels. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I do really admire it uh, for a number of reasons. One is that it just sort of breaks narrative structure. Uh, it's so willing to just be itself and be crazy. Um and I think that that's, uh, that's what I love about uh, Burton. And I love about kind of like weird auteur cinema. And it's also like a love uh, letter to, to be sci-fi movies, which I love. <laughs> you know? So it, it's good fun. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Like I say, the, the, there are certain, one of the things isn't this, like it uses, we'll get onto, but like the fact it uses relatively um, early CGI technology for you know for some of the special effects and that's aged you know not particularly well in some cases but the fact that this whole film plays out as a B movie um makes it even better in some ways <laughs> because it's the same as using that sort of like you know the dodgy those 50s those effects from the 50s so it's just a new type of technology that still looks a little bit dodgy so you know, I, I, yeah, I actually even appreciated some of that in the film. Um, yeah, yeah you're, you're right. It's kind of pardonable because of that, right? Mm. It's like it's an Ed Wood movie, and just instead of string, you see sort of like a glowy early Toy Story kind of CGI. Just yeah, I mean, if you haven't seen it, like you know, we're going to obviously as always, we'll spoil the hell out of it. But just to give it early doors, the the part where you find that Sarah Jessica Parker's head has been transplanted onto a dog um, is wonderful. But it doesn't look great. But I would get, as you said, it's pardonable because I'm like, yeah, but this film's so crazy. And it's obviously such a, you know, so uh, an homage to those films. Like, I'm going with it more so than I would if it was a serious, straight face science fiction film from the same era. So, 
yeah, I think it really sort of it, it feeds into its. Uh, in fact, I feel it feeds into its charm that I think has grown over the years. I, I think that's a great way of of looking at it, I, and I love the bit with uh, the decapitated heads. <laughs> you know, it's all just wonderful to me. Yeah, um, just to go about this, but this is obviously say it's a Tim Burton film. It's sort of uh, late nineties Tim Burton, so it's sort of probably just before many consider he sort of he lost his edge. Um, it's mm-hmm. it's it's very Tim Burton, but Tim Burton obviously more known for sort of like gothic, um, you know, fantasy and. and uh, those sorts of things, but the, the, what he does with this a lot is the fact I love it has the really like clearly he just called in favors from everybody he knew. Like the cast on this thing is incredible. No kidding. <laughs> uh, and knowing what it is, you know, you've got like I'm just going to run through like the people you got: Jack, Jack Nicholson, Pierce Brosnan, uh, Annette Bening, Sarah Jessica Parker. Glenn Close, Danny DeVito, Martin Sheen, Michael J. Fox, Rod Steiger, Tom Jones, um, Pam Greer, uh, Joe Don Black, uh, Joe Don Baker, uh, and then you get sort of like a, a young Jack Black, uh, Lucas Haas, and Jim Brown. Like it's just it's just an astounding cast and cameos galore of different things going on. It's like it's bizarre. Well, um, and I realized watching it this time, I don't think I ever clued in. I was like, "Oh, wait a minute, that's Natalie Portman." <laughs> you know, mm. like that's a like, young yeah. Natalie Portman before she was a celebrity. Yeah, yeah. This well, the, like you say, character playing against. I mean, yeah, Jack Black in this playing a sort <laughs> of like a meathead, um, you know, gung ho young soldier, a very slim, very young. Jack Black, and I'm like, wow, that's a a leap away from his later sort of cartooning and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, it's uh, and um, uh, for me though, Jack Nicholson um, yeah. takes this whole film, um, you know, and and playing both um, the president of the United States and a, a Las Vegas casino owner. Um, and you know, actually proving that he's you know, he can manage that in two different roles. I'm never entirely sure why they have Jack Nicholson playing both. It's great that they did, but there's nobody else sort of like really double dipping, so it's bizarre, but um. Yeah, it is. I don't I don't know what to make of it, uh, you know, and I enjoy him more as the president. Um, you know, although like as a casino mogul, uh, it, it's fun sort of uh, imagining him as kind of like a a, a Trump with uh, more lower class affectations. <laughs> you know, just... Yeah. And, uh, and, and just as many wigs as well. Yes. Yeah. But, Lots know, of makeup. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but, I mean, one of the things in this film that I find um, is I mean this is obviously based on I knew it at the time as the, they call them the tops trading cards, um, which was literally just a series of cards of images of these Martians with the glass dome heads, the bulbous brains and the skull faces, excuse me, in the suits, attacking people. Yeah, that's all they were, weren't no, they? They're awesome. Uh, I, I I did not know they existed until this movie came out, and I, I was I was the biggest Burton fan. And mm. you know, I, w- I want to talk about sort of how it fits into to Burton. But 
but I didn't know about the, these tops cards and uh, they were made in the sixties mm-hmm. and then the eighties, they made a similar series uh, that was called dinosaurs attack. And since then they've made, uh, I think actually four more sets now. Um, uh, and I think one or two of them have been in the sequels to the original one. And then they started a kind of like reboot thing and, and that's been done on Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. But um yeah, it's sort of like the the premise of I mean, obviously like there's a story, but it's very loose. Mm-hmm. And the, the amazing thing about these cards is that basically every card, the intent is to be just kind of like creatively violent. Yeah. Uh, and you imagine like you know way before like garbage pail kids, yeah. these sixty kids had like you know people being just torn apart, and you know a lot of them are homage directly in this movie. Mm. Um, you know, there's a famous one where, you know, the Martians are on the street and they and they look very much like in this film. And, you know, they're shooting a, a boy's dog and you watch the dog just being torn apart by these guns as the boy screams in horror, mm. very much like a suburban 1950s Americana image, you know, just being destroyed. <laughs> and it's so vicious. It's so but it has that kind of like weird it's so hard to understand them because they're so creative, but so violent and depraved at the same time, but in a like super innocent way, you know, a very childish way. Yeah, well, th- it is. And that's sort of what this film is. Um, but it, I mean, like, even the, the opening scene of this film, like I, I had memories of this film. I remember like the key ones, like, you know, when they have um, the, the spaceship landing for the sort of like, the official first contact and, yeah. Uh, the thing at the end with with the way that sort of Jack Nicholson's president goes out and a few others, uh, the Jack Black running against it with the flag. I had all those memories. And the film itself though starts with um, an opener that's a bit of a shocker. Like, uh, you know, firstly, when the guy comes over, it has like a bit of a hick farm coming over his tractor to talk to an Oriental family to say, oh, you've got some barbecue on the go. Is it your new year? Which is bizarrely sort of like, racist in itself and then all of a sudden a, a, fl- a literally like a flaming herd of cattle run past yeah. <laughs> um, and they understand that and then you see a spaceship take off and you're just like all right yeah not sure where this is gonna go <laughs> um yeah i mean i think you know that's the exactly sort of the image that was on the cards of sort of mm. like just cattle and flames you know as they attack you know I think that that was one of the cards of sort of like taking it out of the city and showing them kind of going into the countryside and, and, and wreaking carnage there. But yeah, you're right. It's kind of like, well, they make a point of saying like it, they're Filipino and mm. it, it's sort of, it's racist about like your food is different, but at the same time, like it's kind of charming to imagine like yeah. as a, um, these farmers <laughs> living in this sort of like, yeah, you know, I, I have some uh, some bad attitudes, but they're clearly friendly and they're good neighbors, you know, who can who can talk about this stuff. Uh, it's kind of like oddly racist, but also intended to be heartwarming at the yeah, same time, yeah. you know, and then it yeah. goes to this. I mean, but I think that that goes to kind of like one of the key things about this movie, which it's so hard to put your finger on anything in this movie. Mm. Like, is it a parody? Is it a satire? In some ways, in other ways, it's just wacky fun. You know, how do you interpret anything in this movie? <laughs> you can kind of come at it from an angle, but it's not consistent throughout the movie in any way. No, and and 
I, that's part of why I love it. I think that's part of its charm is that, like say, at times like it doesn't even know what it is. Um, mm-hmm. it, I mean, it definitely has a satire. Um, and I mean, you know, to, just to, to throw in a note that I, I hadn't realized until sort of watching it again, like the added satire of this film is it came out the same year as Independence Day. Um, yeah. And Independence Day plays it, you know, as a, as a sort of like a sci-fi adventure film, and maybe one day we'll cover it. But you have that sort of like, you know, um, it has Independence Day has one of the lines, one of those lines in films that, that irritates me beyond all belief. <laughs> um, I, I, you know, I don't mind the sort of like, you know, I think it's of its time. I think the sort of the, you know, the the disaster porn element of it with all the buildings blown up is quite cool. And a lot of it still stands up because it was all practical effects. All that's fine. There's a moment in this film though, when, you know, they find out how to take down the Mm -hmm. uh, spaceships and it goes around the world and sort of says, there's a, it comes from a British camp and it says the Yanks have figured out how to take down the ships it's like, well, thank God for them, and it's about time. And you're just like, wait a minute. No, no, no. You say the rest of the world has basically been sat about waiting for America to figure this out. And it's almost like a satire in itself, without intending to be. You know, it's a bit of a sort mm-hmm. of... But the, I feel that, like, Mars Attacks is a complete satire and parody of Independence Day. You know, it's like... And actually, probably closer to how first contact would actually go um yeah i mean i don't know uh who knows i mean i i tend to think realistically you know i mean i i go the solaris route like probably mm. we would not be able to understand each other and the, um take a while to figure that out i mean arrival kind of plays with that idea but yeah, I mean, there's all this talk in the movie about uh, sort of uh, the Pierce Brosnan character who's wonderful, you know, mm. with his uh, with his pipe, you know, sort of playing a parody of a, of an a, a ivory tower intellectual, um, you know, who doesn't really know anything, um, you know, saying, well, obviously, and a, a civilization adv- as advanced as this would obviously have progressed beyond uh, violence. Uh, clearly they have more to fear from us than we have. I mean, it's like such a cliche, right? Yeah. But, but I mean, there too, it's like, I don't know how to take that because I mean, uh, even the like sort of um, LA riots uh, is sort of referenced in this, both with um, the boxer being overwhelmed by the aliens mm. uh, and also Jack Nicholson's, you know, in his great speech saying, can't we all just get along? Yeah. You know? I mean, and the answer to that historically, I mean, that was a plea for peace. And the answer was, no, this is going to go on. Mm. Um, you know, and, and maybe the point of that satire is humans are just stupid, but uh, you know, it's like manipulant, you know, I don't, I don't know what the, what the target is. Um but you're right about Independence Day. Yeah? I, I don't yeah. mean to derail. No, 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 no. Because I, I think it's a good point. I think the thing is this: one of the points you make is when you have a satire, you 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 usually have a single target, don't you? Okay, we're going to satirize the government <laughs> or uh, satirize the military or something. In this, it's like no, we're going to satirize everybody. Like we are literally going to poke for everybody. And so, like you gave both <clears throat> the li- you know it sounds daft, but you. The liberal media and the sort of, and again, this sounds bad, but the sort of that side of it and um, 
you know, you said the Pierce Brosnan, who's supposed to be this sort of like, you know, peaceful, you know, probably left-leaning sort of like intellectual, and then they've partnered with the Sarah Jessica Parker, who's sort of like just a fashion reporter, but sort of like, you know, is, is there... And obviously Michael J. Fox playing a more serious sort of uh, reporter, or more like well, not reporter, pre- you know, news presenter. And you have that, and you go, okay, well, they're going to satirise all that. And... You know, we're going to then satirize the military by having Rod Steiger come in as sort of like yeah. this sort of like the moment they turn up, he's like, nuke them. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and I think that's it, it's almost like it's watched, um, you know, Dr. Strangelove and gone, right. right, let's do that with everybody. Not realizing that the wider you sort of send the satire, the the weaker it becomes because you sort of you know you've got to have even the only person that really doesn't come across as being satirized is lucas haas is the sort of the young boy um Mm -hmm. you know um and so the sort of the point of the film seems to be you know yeah just being a sort of a really average joe regular person you know with a little bit of compassion or something is the way to go because everybody else is horrible (laughs) Yeah, I th- there was a, you know, and I, I feel that obviously in retrospect, there's a little bit of kind of like, um, not just white privilege, but kind of, you know, male privilege, like, you know, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm a white guy, but I'm not a, a racist asshole like my parents. Um, you know, I, I'm sensitive, but I, I don't really understand anything, mm-hmm. but that's really all you need, you know, uh, but, you know, as far as like the, the, the satire goes, um, yeah, I mean, it's it, like, I love the Strange Love stuff. I mean, I mm-hmm. love Strange Love. I love basically any version of Strange Love. But, uh, but in Strange Love, right, the, you know, precious bodily fluids guy is uh, Kilgore, uh, is, uh, um, is uh, you know, obviously wrong. And mm. if you listen to him, we'd have thermonuclear war, which, you know, you ultimately get spoilers <laughs> but um but here the crazy nuka mall guy is right <laughs> you know, so so how do you even process that like yes he's stupid but he's right and the only way that i can understand this is just like look at this carnival of humanity it's all stupid we're all grasping in the dark we're all dumb and even the aliens are dumb but at least yeah. they're having a good time <laughs> yeah. Well, this is one of the things that sort of like I came to a bit of a, a realization watching this film. It's called Mars Attacks, but it never, I don't think at any point is it an actual invasion. It's almost like a bunch of college guys going out on a really bad night out. Like, this is a bender. This is somebody going out on the Raz. Like, you know, this is right. We're going to go out and just go crazy because this is our last weekend before whatever. Like, they don't <laughs> seem to have a purpose. You know, it's not like, oh, we, we need the territory. We need your resources. We need, or because of your putting things into space, like Mars is a threat. It's like, no, no, no. We're just going out to have fun. You know, like, there's nothing serious about them. And I, I do kind of like that sort of mischievous violence that verges on in the same way grem in the same way as gremlins you know what i mean it's almost like mm-hmm. it's uh you know it's um anarchic violence just for the sake of it really because we can well and gremlins has that same sort of like uh love of creative violence mm. right like you know mm. i mean they're they're putting uh gremlins in blenders and stuff i mean you know 
there's just that love of what kind of creative insanity can we do? And I mean, the t- original Tops cards have some dumb explanation, like Mars is going to explode, and so they need territory. And you see a little more of them kind of like landing. But really, obviously, the core of it is just enjoying this, you know, wackiness, enjoying this, you know, perverse, you know, like you said, I mean, it, it's exactly right. It's this kind of like uh, frat boys out uh, to have fun. And they're, uh, you know, using a, a giant bowling ball to uh, wreck the statues <laughs> of Easter Island. And, you know, I mean, it's just yeah. so wonderful, um, you know, just so creative. Well, that's it. And again, I mean, one of my favorite, I, I do love that one. That's magnificent. But it's also like there's a great one when they shoot the bottom of the um, the, the Washington Monument. And uh, there's like a, a group of like Boy Scouts or whatever. And they run one way. So the ship travels into oh, the yeah. spaceship and nudges it. And then just keep nudging <laughs> it until it's going to land on them. And like, it's, like, it's just, it is. It's almost like Tom and Jerry creative violence. And that's the point of the film. It's just sort of like, you know, you're supposed to enjoy it. Because the It's... It's weird because it makes you feel a bit split. You're supposed to enjoy the violence in the same way that you do enjoy, you know, Gremlins or the Tom and Jerry violence and that sort of thing. But then it's also asking you to side with um, groups of human survivors, you know, that are trying to defeat this. And um, it's it's sort of there are times it wants to have its cake and eat it a little bit. Um, And I think that's when it becomes a bit patchy. I find that idea absolutely fascinating because, you know, I mean, the, the, the cars are like that too, right? Mm. You know, like obviously these, these aliens are terrible, right? I mean, if, if you were in this universe, you would just be horrified. <laughs> this would not be fun at all. Right. Um, much like our universe, you know, I mean, if you, I, I realized recently, like if, if uh, the last four years were like a series, like the West Wing, it would just be like, what a dramatic turn of events. Like, I'm gasping. This is so great. You know, and living through it is just like, oh, I'm in hell. <laughs> you know, yeah. this is not fun. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, these aliens are bad guys, right? But at the same time, um, they seem so innocent mm. just in their uh, the way that they enjoy these, this violence. And, you know, just like with the cards, you're looking at, like uh, humans being uh, crunched up in like a claw of a mechanical thing. Why do they even use this mechanical thing? <laughs> you know, like they've got flying. I mean, mm. it's just because it's fun. It's a cool idea. Throw it in there. Um, but, you know, and I think this is more clear with Mars Attacks that sort of we're enjoying these images of extreme violence and the, the creativity of it while also condemning the people doing it. But it reminds me that while that is more pronounced here, that's the same dynamic that's true in a uh, serial killer movie. It's it's true in horror movies. Uh, you know, uh, Hannibal is mm. the star. You know, Clary Starling might be the main character, but, you know, you, you thrill to the murders, right? You watch, um, you know, you watch uh, Sleepaway Camp because you want to see teenagers brutally murdered and stabbed to death. But you also know this is a bad guy. So we we sort of vicariously enjoy um, violence and terrible things and then get to come out of the theaters thinking, uh, I'm morally pure. You know, those are those are bad guys. I've been able to enjoy my desire to witness slash commit horrible acts. Uh, and at the same time, I am not morally implicated in any way. 
and mm-hmm. Mars Attacks kind of pushes that in your face just a little. <laughs> it's true. You, you make a really good point in that sense, especially sort of like the the cartoonish violence. It's the same as sort of like the later Freddy Krueger, Nightmare on Elm Street films. You know, they sort of they transition from being pure horror to becoming, especially like four, five, and six, where like it's exactly that. Like Freddy Krueger is the star. I'm no longer there to sort of see teen survive. I'm literally turning up to see him <laughs> quip and kill people in, in inventive ways. Um, it's that, and it's that, isn't it? Because then you come back and go, well, that was a jolly good time. And, you know, he was defeated at the end. Thank goodness. But I hope he's back for a sequel. Um, yeah. Uh, and it is true. It, it's, it's, you know, the, the, I would say that the object of this, if the object of this film is just to sort of to lay out a bunch of, skits um you know that that you mm-hmm. can then go well that was good that's funny that's funny you know and it's sort of like like you said the the severed heads of Pierce Brosnan and Sarah Jessica Parker and uh the bowling ball Easter Island or the you know the, the sort of uh, the Washington Monument like each of these little skits in themselves are funny um and then but then I says do they work as a whole it's sort of I honestly think part of it is because they try to sort of um, underpin it with there are certain things that they try to insert that you, you know you have to question. So I like the fact that the government is is when they have like you know Jack Nicholson's government, you have the two generals that are very very different, you know, and the one like say the Rod Steiger one who's just like sort of like yeah kill them all. Um, and the fact that you say that he's right, and then the other one that like's not so much a general, but is sorry, not so much a pacifist, but is very much sort of he even he admits it in the tank to his wife. I love that when he's in that's a great moment. Actually. Oh yeah. When he's in the Jeep and um he's talking to his wife, and he's like, I told you if I keep my head down and just don't say anything, <laughs> I knew I'd end up in a real position of power. And it's sort of like, Yeah, that's ridiculous, but it's probably true. Um and he ends up being killed. But uh, that's also a little bit of a commentary on Colin Powell, uh, you know, who, you know, I mean, because that character is black and there was a kind of especially after the first Iraq war, a kind of uh, criticism of Powell as somebody who had kept his head down and and covered helped cover up the My Lai massacre Mm. and, um, you know, gone with the system long enough that, you know, he got this attention i mean whether that's true or not i mean that that was a take no and it was he looks he does look a bit like him you know it's clear that they've sort of they've tried to choose an actor because even you know, despite you know obviously being a black actor he looks a bit like colin colin powell as well so there is it's a very good point um so yeah i do like the fact they poke it's there are times when them poking fun at everybody is is fine but then they then have they then have the characters that you're supposed to follow um, as your sort of point of view characters, um, and it, it, it then in those circumstances it's trying to follow the sort of the, the you know the, the story beats of a disaster film, isn't it? Right. Yeah. Here's here's your characters you're going to follow, da, 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 and then you're going to have a little bit of the story. Um, but again, I think. It, it sometimes asks too much, and mm-hmm. and I think that's where I think this is a it's a, it's almost like a, a wonderful mess. This film, um, that for example, um, what's his name, um, Jim Brown, the boxer. 
who's who's obviously like a draw at the, the, the Las, Las Vegas uh, casino. His story, like you know, him leading this thing is good. You know, he's obviously he's trying to save a couple of people. He wants to get home to his ex-wife and, and his kids and stuff. And you know, he's got his mission, but it never seems to have like I don't know because of the ludicrousness of it. It never sort of like you know has weight. The, mm-hmm. oh, I know I'm never really invested in it, and I think they almost it's a bit like. Uh, and I've said this with other films recently, like Thor 3, the Thor uh, Ragnarok seems to do this. They introduce something that's going to be sort of have some weight and have some stock and then keep undercutting it with jokes and humour or something that's ludicrous. And so you set mm-hmm. this guy up and he's like, right, we're gonna, I'm going to save some people. Okay, we're going to have a group of people that we're going to sort of, we're gonna, I'm going to have to try and get out of here. Who's in your group? Tom Jones, the singer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Tom Jones is going to be a part of this group, and you know that's no no thing you know thing on Tom Jones, but it's clearly a joke that doesn't go away. <laughs> and so when he has the moment of sacrifice to let the others, you know, he sacrifices himself and his and and his mission to save the others. I still can't get over the fact I'm like, but Tom Jones is <laughs> <laughs> right. It's silly. I it, you know it, it just cuts away that weight where like the humor is probably a bit too much um and so you know and it happens a few times and it's just the whole problem with the whole ending of this film is again and and i'll i'll let you i'll let you speak in a minute but (laughs) before i get to that what are your thoughts on that what i'm saying basically because i've got another point about that but like that thing of it just undercutting its uh own uh i mean drama I think you're right, but I mean, but I would say I would side with the the comedy or the zaniness. Mm. I mean, my biggest objection to this movie is that it tries to be a disaster movie, mm. and I hate the ensemble cast at disaster movie. I've never seen it done well. Mm. Um, you know, where you you know you introduce like six characters, they're kind of like in three pairs of two or something, and and then you know you spend like half an hour finding out about them and you know their stresses, and I just think. I don't want to watch this. I, mm-hmm. I want to see the earthquake. Yeah. I want to see the volcano erupt. You know, I want to see the, the Titanic sink, mm. you know, um, get on with it. I, and, and, you know, how well are you really going to paint those people in mm. 30 minutes for six people that I'm really going to care? And occasionally there are those moments where you, you think, well, I can identify with his motivation, but you know, my objection to this is that, I could get I get why they brought in that structure uh, because you're turning trading cards into a, a movie. Mm. But I think all of that stuff is the stuff that I like least and that I kind of am tempted to fast forward through or at least, you know, push the like accelerate button, you know, on Netflix or VLC. Um, but to me, I side with the zaniness. You know, it's like the, you know, the sacrifice on the tarmac is like, I imagine that's a trading card that just says, you know, heroic sacrifice, you know, as the yeah. aliens <laughs> and they've turned that like a concept of that one image. It's, that's not a real card, but you know, into this scene and that scene works and it's cool. Um, but it, it doesn't work if you also want this to be like a disaster movie and to, and to not just use that structure, but invest as much time as this movie does in those plots. And, most of the, I mean, this movie needs to be trimmed by fifteen to thirty minutes. Yes, I would, I would agree with that. I mean, that's the thing. 
it's asking you to invest in that character. Now, I won't deny that the moment he steps up, because he's a big dude, and I, I kind of like him, uh, Jim Jim Brandler. He, he he's he's a cool character, and I, I do kind of like him in this. I mean, he's one of like three characters I actually quite like. But the moment where he squares up to them and he's sort of like, "Come on!" and he's they actually have a boxing match between him. And, <laughs> and, uh, it is wonderful because of the look, like you say, because of the zaniness of it. Like his, like even just from a boxing standpoint, like his reach is clearly a lot further. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> yeah. it makes no sense, but I love it. And the fact he uses the, you know, the glass dome then as a punching bag, sort of like it looks great. It's funny, and I think, oh, okay, this is going to result in some zany thing of him being rescued from this group of of Martians. But for him to then be swamped. And uh, by those aliens, and they're literally, you see them like from a distance, like they're pummeling him as the plane goes off, and sort of like Tom Jones and, and the, the other two, Annette Benning and, and somebody else, sort of go off. You look back and it's played. You know, this is time, this is Burton's thing, choice. He makes the choice to play that for pathos. Like he's looking for you to go, oh man, like that's a real sacrifice. Yeah, but that's not this film. <laughs> No, right. You know, that's not this film at all. I'm expecting the Hulk Hogan moment, you know, the throwing them all off and then him decking them all in some ridiculous way. And I know it pays off at the end. Yes, he returns. And again, you're supposed to have that moment of, oh, man, like he survived. That's awesome. Like he's come back. And you sort of do. But then I'm still watching a film where half a building's been destroyed and they're forcing out these these dead martians i'm like this doesn't belong in this film it belongs in earthquake or you know airport 79 or whatever the hell it is like yeah it i don't know it, it, it I, I agree with you side with the zaniness don't or, you know it's either go with the drama and make them care or go with the zaniness you can't do both yeah i mean i think that you know one thing that we haven't talked about is that um, the movie that Burton had done just before this was Ed Wood. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Burton loved Ed Wood. And I love Ed Wood. Mm-hmm. And Ed Wood has these moments where, you know, you think like, oh, this is a serious... Like, is he aware that this completely <laughs> undercut everything else in this movie? Like, he's focused on what's good for that scene and doesn't seem to know that it undermines the entire rest of the film. And I think that this movie does that uh, in, in sort of the same way. I hate that he shows up at the end. It's like, mm-hmm. how, you know, how did he survive? I, I want there to be just like a trading card moment. It's like, no, they killed him. Uh, and, and, and maybe you have this kind of heroic sacrifice, but I mean, the next trading card is, uh, you know, something zany is something utterly ridiculous, creative violence. Um, and, you know, the original cards had that, right? I mean, they had, like, a fighter pilot being shot down, and, it, you know, it was, like, going down in flames, you know, burning mm. alive, and, you know? And it's yeah. like, oh, that, that's really terrible. But the next one would be really funny. And really, and so, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I have that same reaction, but it's the stuff that wants to comply with that disaster movie narrative uh, instead of departing from it whenever you feel like it. Mm-hmm. that bothers me 
No, I agree. And I think, you know, that's it. It's that, I, I get what you're saying now. That um, you know, I, I appreciate Ed Wood uh, and what he did. I, I love Tim Burton's Ed Wood. I think it's a fantastic film. Um, but there's something about, you know, admiring a director who is acknowledged or is sort of seen as possibly one of the worst movie makers in history. And then going, I'm going to emulate that. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's a little bit you go, I, I, maybe I will homage him, but, I, you know, but he's, if he's actually saying, yeah, I really enjoyed Edward, I'm going to do something similar. You go, well, yeah, I'm not sure that, you know, there's a line that you sort of need to, to maybe not cross. But, yeah, it's fine. But but I think that's exactly what he's doing here. I mm. mean, I you know, and I, for all of its faults, and, and this is a movie so filled with fault, um, you know, I sort of feel like like we, we've had this discussion about like Zack Snyder where, you know, I'll say, you know, look, uh, Zack Snyder is a very talented director. He's just attached to stuff he should not be doing. Mm-hmm. Sucker Punch is exactly what he should be doing. Do your own thing. It do- It can look beautiful. It doesn't have to really matter. Have a couple ideas that's good in and out. You're not building a cosmology here, man. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and Burton, like... I don't want Burton doing Planet of the Apes. I don't yeah. want him, you know, doing, uh, you know, serious franchise work. Um, you know, Burton was at the height of his uh, powers. Um, you know, he certainly of his power in Hollywood. He got a hundred million dollars to make Mars Attacks. <laughs> I mean, they looked at the script and they looked at what the source material was and said, "You're Tim Burton." You know. Ed Wood was probably his least successful movie, but I mean, he's mm. coming off of the two first two Batmans, you know, Edward Scissorhands. I mean, he turned Pee Wee into a box office gold, Beetlejuice. Mm. I mean, this guy cannot hit anything but a home run. And and they're just like, you know, here's a hundred million dollars to make your Ed Wood real movie. Like you did the biopic. Now yeah. you're going to make an Ed Wood movie yeah. inspired by this crazy cards from the 60s. Mm-hmm. And they're just like, yeah, here's a hundred million dollars. So I kind of feel like this is, it's by far not Burton's best picture, mm. but I kind of feel like it is the most quintessential Burton, Burton picture in a way. It's just like, if I had my druthers and I could raise a hundred million dollars to, to shoot some cockamamie <laughs> stuff, this is what I would do. And I kind of love that. There is that, and it's one of the things I do love about Hollywood at times, where you get a film that's a bit of a hot mess, and you know for a fact it's the you know it's because the director's probably you know really coming off a, a hot streak, and you can imagine the pitch meeting where they've gone in, and then you know they've gone you know yeah green light it go go you go, and they've probably come out and gone, I I can't believe we did that. <laughs> we, did you understand what that pitch <laughs> was about? <laughs> do you think they understood what I was saying? <laughs> All right, well, we've got it. Let's go. Um, and I'm sure there's others. If you think about it, we could probably pull it. I'm pretty sure Spielberg's got that film and, you know, um, <laughs> like, say, Snyder. And there's a few of the directors, I'm pretty sure. Tarantino's had it where he can walk in and they go, mm. you want to do a film? You do a film. And then you get four hours of a Western. That... <laughs> yeah. And you go, all right, all right, that's what he's doing now. Um, yeah, I, it has its faults, like you say, and it, it is. It's, but I, it also, in a way, it feels to me, it, it, it sort of hits the mark of the '90s as well, yeah. because it's that thing of sort of 
you know, this comes at 96, which is the height of the X-Files. You know, we'd had the sort of like the Roswell autopsy tape had come out by this point. Um, you know, there was uh, a bunch of sort of X-Files uh, rip-offs had come out as well. And um, one of them was quite good. I can't remember what it's called, but it was um, set in the 50s or the 60s. And um, then you get Independence Day. It's almost like this comes out as almost like poking fun at all of that as well. Um and so it's just quintessentially, not just Burton, it's just so 90s that I was watching this film and I was like, man, this film sort of feels so like a nostalgia trip for my sort of later teen years. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> this sort of touches all those 90s sort of like buttons. Um, yeah, I just think like, you know, I could imagine kids of teens watching it now and that's it. You can take it as a cartoon and be like, no, no, no this was so 90s. <laughs> Like, yeah, Tim Burton doing an alien film. Yeah, that's that's 1996. Yeah, no, I I also had that sort of feeling of the, that this was so 90s. And you know, the the funny thing you were talking about how it sort of satirizes Independence Day. Mm-hmm. You know, before Independence Day, uh, you know, they both came out the same year. What's funny is um, Burton was leaning toward doing uh, adapting the dinosaurs attack cards, um, you know, which would have been like a time travel accident goes wrong. Yeah. And then just like dinosaurs just eat people. And they, you know, both of the cards have, you know, sets have like these weird kind of like psychosexual cards, right? Where like it's the, the aliens attraction mm. to, you know, humans and, and sort of staring in the windows as they're having sex and stuff. Well, that's in, that, is, that's in, this in the original cards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's 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 in there, and the dinosaurs uh, raid us. There's a card where they're they're killing sorority girls, you know, like they got into a sorority. And it's like, um, but Burton was gonna was interested in adapting that, and then Jurassic Park came out, mm. and because of Jurassic Park, they said, no, we want it, we want we'll go with Mars Attacks instead of the dinosaurs, and then wouldn't you know it, Independence Day yeah. comes out the same year, right? <laughs> Yeah, there's a. I'm not going to draw a line between Jurassic Park and Independence Day. There's a clear step difference in quality and and uh, filmmaking. But yeah, I, I get no doubt. Saying. Yeah, <laughs> but if you were going to be the one that parodies and makes the fun out of Spielberg, um, yeah, you want to be careful, I suppose. Uh, but yeah, I, I can see why, and I, I think I could still see that happening. I mean, especially now. I mean, towards you know now you've got. Um, you know, Jurassic Park one through three and the Jurassic World films. If you were to do a dinosaurs attacks film, um, and do it as a comedy kind of thing, the problem is the line between between the Jurassic World films and the dinosaurs attack films, the lines blur a bit too much, and I think that that would be a bit of a problem. Um, what one thing I want to get into actually about this film, we've sort of talked about it wanting its cake and eating it. Is mm-hmm. it's obviously called Mars Attacks, and it's, it's Martians attacking the Earth. Um, you know, very sort of all, all the iconography there is a, a very sort of typical Martian or alien attack, flying saucer. We've then had a, you have then have Independence Day, which it's it's fun, um, but you can't really take it seriously. The thing I was really tapping into though, um was War of the Worlds. Mm-hmm. And there's, there is a bit of a sense of that in this film. 
of in War of the Worlds, especially the original, you know, the the you know the Edwardian sort of late Victorian sort of um, story of you, they are just immensely more technologically advanced and more powerful. There's not much the protagonist in, the, in that book can do other than survive, but they you know, they run from event to event and so on and so forth. And that's a little bit in this. Like there's a, just this blatant thing of like, no, no, these guys, these Martians, are, like you say, are here for fun, and there's there's not much you can do about it. Um, that's where I get to the ending. So Independence Day has the 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 rah rah the dumbest rah 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 ending ever. Like. Forgetting, you know, what's it, Pullman's speech, um, but the whole thing of introducing a virus into an alien, you know, into an alien ship is, is as a kid, I watched it and you were like, yeah, mm-hmm. and now you watch it like, you know, twenty plus, well, twenty plus years later, and you're like, makes no sense. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but it's it's part and parcel of that film. That film is about us surviving, fighting back and winning. It, that's the point of the film. It's, it's not a post-apocalyptic film. It's a survival film. And that's the point. You've got to... It's a disaster movie again. You overcome the the obstacle, the, the you know, the uh, attack. The fact that they then apply a similar ending to this. So the, what my point is, with War of the Worlds, the Martians are defeated by a, a virus. Ironically enough, when, we, when we're recording this germs the common cold they can't survive in our atmosphere and they get they get defeated by that there is no intervention from humans we just manage to survive because of something else this film with mars attacks it's sort of like uh, the ending you get which i don't know who sings a song it's a country western song it's not great but this idea that the music has some sort of frequency or something that makes the aliens heads explode it's almost like between the two but I almost hate that it's it's a protag- you know it's a it's a protagonist uh, intervention that causes the, the survival of the planet. Like it shouldn't it shouldn't you know they've taken out nuclear weapons and everything else, and to be able to, to then be taken out by some music, it, it sort yeah. of it's, it's it, I know it's part of the zaniness, mm-hmm. but the fact it's found, you know, is is ridiculous. But it just feels a bit. Um, we should they should the Martians should have either just packed up and left or should have been defeated by something in which the humans have not intervened. It just I don't know, it just feels like it goes against the sense of the rest of the film to have this ending. What are your thoughts? I don't, I don't know if I'm no, I mean, I my only sort of quibble would be you know, like you say it goes against the sense of the rest of the film. I don't know what the rest of the film is saying, mm. except like it's a series at, at its best, it's a series of scenes that don't necessarily belong together, you know. <laughs> so, I mean, you made this choice of like the zany, you know, it's a way to defeat them. Um, I agree, it's not satisfying. Mm. I agree, it's you know, it, it um, it doesn't work for me. I mean, you get the the nice long the nice line of the the grandmother saying, "These guys are really ill," you know, yeah. which is one of the few like legit laughs. But um, yeah, I mean, it's you're right; it it doesn't make sense. Um, I agree; it's not very satisfying. It's basically it's the end of Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, mm. um, and then subsequently to its great shame the end of Star Trek Beyond. Um, 
which, you know, manages to steal from Attack of the Killer Tomatoes <laughs> and Mars Attacks. Um, yeah, it's not... It, it, that works better in Attack of the Killer Tomatoes because Attack of the Killer Tomatoes is so low budget and mm-hmm. so obviously it doesn't take itself seriously. You're not supposed to identify with anybody. Here, you're right. You know, it kind of like plays both sides. And so... It's so ludicrous. Also, the song, while a a sort of howling, uh, dog howling country western song kind of thing, is not as bad as the song in Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, which, you know, frankly, you know, which is like puberty, puberty (laughs) love. It's so awesomely not bad. Um, So, I mean, I I was always disappointed by, Mm -hmm. by that resolution. The one thing I'd say is in the original cards, the humans just win militarily. Uh, and then the last like 12 cards of the original set are the humans just, I guess we have a space force and we just like, <laughs> this is, cl- it's clearly said in the sixties. Right. Yeah. But we're just like, okay, now that we we finally repelled them, let's go to Mars. And, and then you have at the invasion of Mars and Mars is blown up and we've killed all of the, them <laughs> by the end of a 60 some card set. Right. You know? Well, the thing is this, fi- this film introduces, um, an alternative, like you say, if they were going to do that, mm. I, I, I will admit I hate the musical weapon in this film. I think it's it's ludicrous, but and again, it's not just satisfying. I just find it really irritating, and and <laughs> it's just, I don't know, it just bothers me so much. Especially when you've had two kids in this film. There's two, the sort of Pam Greer's two sons. And they're set up as, and I love this scene because I think it's again, it's a great little sort of like daft scene. They're set up as being gamers. Like they've been bunking off school to go to the arcade, um, which, you know, for kids who are listening to this, was a place you went to to play computer games you couldn't play at home. <laughs> um, and they're, they're obviously playing something like a shoot 'em up, like a shooter game. And then they save the president because they're able to get to. Um, laser weapons from some martians and they then turn out to be not just better shots but they're having the the laser weapons become better equipped um than uh, you know better equipped than the, the secret service and so we're able to take out the the martians and all i could think of was like all right that's great those kids sort of disappear and you know they turn up again at the end or whatever um but I'm still thinking, like, yeah, you have defeated one or two aliens. Why haven't you picked up their weapons and used them back? Like, yeah. you know, it's sort of surely that's you know would be the ending. Is if you want to go for that thing, you've you've had your hero sacrifice. You want to go for a protagonist fed ending. Do you turn the Martians' weapons on themselves? That right. supposed to have. That zaniness is turns back on them. It's that sort of thing of like you know, karma biting you in the ass. The two this film should end with two sort of like ghetto kids in a spaceship chasing aliens around with a laser gun. That's what it should be, and I think that's to be more satisfying than a granny and her grandson going around with some speakers. Well, you're so right. I like the granny, but you're she so right. Familiar. Uh and and you you always come up with these sort of uh, ways that a better option was available to to the yeah. writers and the and the crew, uh, but you're absolutely right. And I would point out that those sort of not just the attack on Mars sort of final cards in the original, but. 
before that, as humans are fighting back, uh, you do get some of that same creative violence mm. done by the humans, you know, except now it's like morally justified yeah. by, you know, revenge, right? <laughs> and that would have been, you know, how awesome would it have been to see those those two kids piloting a, a flying saucer or, you know, seeing, um, you know, human uh, military people, uh, you know, with chainsaws just carving up uh, still living, you know, Martians in the streets. I mean, all of the creative possibilities of that. Um, no, I mean, you're absolutely right. I, I think that, I mean, especially considering, and, you know, obviously they didn't know it was made about the same time, came out the same year. But if you're then going to, you know, if you want to partner this with um, Independence Day, Having the ending with Jeff Goldblum and Will Smith piloting an alien spacecraft back to the mothership and then having two kids do it, but chasing aliens through the streets, you know, and chasing them with lasers. That would have been wonderful. Just to say, like, that, Mars Attacks has, has, has your ending and does it better. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. You know, I, I just think, yeah, this, this, the ending of this film feels rushed and feels a little bit is unsatisfying, really. Um, because it could have been, you know, I like say that to turn the cartoon violence on the Martians would have been for me, would have been the way to go. Yeah, no, no argument. I mean, yeah. that that is absolutely there and more in spirit with the film. But I, and I think that, you know, my objections to this film is that sort of disaster plot, it is that serious plot. Yeah. Um, I want more zaniness. Mm. I don't need it to to make sense with the whole movie. I don't need it to be of a single tone. I want, you know, scene after scene to be, um, you know, like uh, cards. It's just an, an entertaining scene. Um, and actually, I think that uh, another thing that really suffers in this movie, besides trying to turn it into a, a more typical disaster narrative, um, and having them be defeated through this this very unsatisfying way is also just the lack of budget that, you know, they rewrote this to get that budget down. And it was still a hundred million dollar B movie in 1996. But, you know, originally they were going to have um, scenes set much more around the real world. You sort of see this like you know, Paris, you know, oh, Maurice seen as, you know, the president of France is, is killed. And I that's do, good I, stuff. But... Yeah, it is. I love that scene. <laughs> but there was so much more you could do. I mean, mm -hmm. and, and also, like, you've got basically three locations, right? You know, you've got Vegas, you've got the desert, and you've got Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. uh, well, they don't even show the White House being destroyed. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I mean, like, Independence Day does that. And that stuff was in the script at some point. And mm. they, and that's in the original cards. There's a whole mm. series of cards that's just like watching, you know, like the Statue of Liberty and, and others, just monuments of the world be destroyed. You do see the Taj Mahal, which is mm. very funny as they, they take the photo as, as it's yeah. in flames. <laughs> um, but, you know, so you see a little bit of that, but it's done very much, you know, uh, with one camera, uh, you know, avoiding um you know budgetary issues mm. so yeah i mean i agree with you and about that ending and i think that you know all that zaniness though is the expensive stuff mm. um you know that's one reason why disaster movies have these stupid characters uh is so you can fill out a two-hour movie yeah. um 
you know, because we all want to watch the ship sink. We want to watch people saw it in half, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The <laughs> thing is, I think if you wanted to make this, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going down a rabbit hole now. I see what you're saying. And I can imagine this having another extra 40 million plus sort of like added on to it to do all the things that probably Tim Burton really wanted to do. Um, but, you know, and again, this isn't Tim Burton. This uh, this isn't what I'm thinking. Wouldn't be Tim Burton because it's not his style. But in the '90s was also sort of like, you know obviously in the '80s we'd had video nasties and all this other stuff and we'd gotten over that. <clears throat> the '90s was sort of gangster rap and computer games. Computer games were getting their first kick in in that sort of like mid '90s. I think it would have been wonderful if those two kids, like you say, you know the the older generation, like we don't know what to do with this because and two young kids who were like we know what to do because we play violent computer games. We know exactly what to do. <laughs> that's that's what I. That's again fits in with the satire, sort of like you know. Oh yeah, yeah. No, we're going to save the world because we are tapped into these violent computer games. Um, yeah, those kids are great. I mean, mm. I, I love when they're rescuing the president and and they spontane they they strike this dynamic pose. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that that's just so uh, picturesque and and and. They say, "Get that president out of here!" <laughs> it's like the most unrealistic line of dialogue, but so charming. Yeah, yeah the, you're right. There's so much possibility there. Yeah, the thing is, like I say, it's still fun, and I think it has that sort of. Um, it has a sense of like constantly. Do you know what I mean? It's sort of, mm-hmm. uh, and that's one of the real bonuses of this film. One of the real benefits is a constant like. Um, you're never quite sure what could happen, the way a scene's going to play out. Um, and and that's why I kind of like, that's what, one of the things I do enjoy, but especially the first meet, you know, yeah. they have all the, yeah. of the, the stands out and they, the, the, you know, the press is all there and the military and then the, the, the ship lands and it sort of all rolls out and the dignitary comes out with the soldiers and they release the they sort of, they they've used the technology. I love the fact they've got like a, a speech technology, because um, <laughs> that feels that feels really and again looks really fifties as well. Sort of like you know, um, and it's sort of like we come in peace and everything else. And they release the dove, and um, again, like, it's a great shot of like the, the the dove reflected in the the dignitary's helmet, the the mm-hmm. gla- you know the glass helmet. And for a moment, even as a, a viewer, I'm like, oh, no, it, this looks like it could go shot the bird and that's it. And that's just <laughs> it. Sort of like, uh, the, you know, the curtains dropped and that's it's all sort of just down to uh, insanity then. But, but delightful insanity. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, Jeep, I mean, Jeeps rolling with, you know, practical effects, skeletons just on fire. Clearly, you know. Uh, sort of cheap, you know, but yeah. as you say, sort of pardonable. Um, but, you know, the other thing is, you're right, this sort of like, what the fuck sort of uh, ness of this movie is, is something I like about it so much. And another thing is that, um, that we haven't touched on is that although it does seem overly wedded to this disaster movie narrative, um, I love how much it just um, goes off the rails um and including in that scene you know michael j fox dies you know you start just killing main characters and it's like why do we spend all this time setting up like their relationship 
and their jealousies as like the popular reporter and the, you know, and the uh, serious reporter. Um, and, and Michael J. Fox is literally never mentioned again. Mm. She's not even broken up about it. I mean, it's just, you know, and, and then at the end, they, they introduce Tom Jones. Like, you know, what, 30 minutes from the end or something? And he becomes, like, my main character. And then it ends with, you know, like, the animals coming out and, and befriending <laughs> Tom Jones. Like, a, a sort of, like, a, uh, Eden where uh, animals are uh, at one with yeah. nature. And, and, you know, it's just, it's, it's so preposterous. But I, I, I love that. I, I it's Those are the things that I love about it. How it, you know, especially as a writer, like, how... I mean, you, you can't make a story like this. Um, yeah. I just wish it, it, it committed to that even more fully. I, I must admit, there's something about the ending that I do love. It's it, like literally like, yeah, <laughs> of all the cast you've got of this film, you know, you've got some amazing, and again, like, you kill off Jack Nicholson twice. Um, <laughs> and, you know, like you say, you've killed off Pierce Brosnan, you've ki- killed off Danny DeVito, uh, all these people, Michael J. Fox, you know, great, amazing. It's been amazing. The film ends with Tom Jones, like he's literally about to burst into song. Like, you can see him swinging the hips and just he's about to sort of like start clicking and start singing, like, you know, it's not unusual or something like that. It cuts out and goes to credits. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah. yeah, and it's so bizarre. And and I think, you know, Tom, Burton apparently loves Tom Jones and, and uh, there's a Obviously, Tom Jones song, yeah. I think, in, in Edward Scissorhands. Um, and, you know, it's it's this sort of like just a director gone crazy. Mm. And it's kind of like that moment in like zombie land where you introduce Bill Murray and it's like, this doesn't fit. <laughs> you know, this is just, you just love Bill Murray. Right. And, and I don't know why, but you know, clearly like he's, you know, you gotta give him this time and it's charming. And here it's just like, it, it, it's kind of charming, but it's also just like head scratchingly weird I mean, you give him the ending of this movie. What is he wasn't even introduced until thirty minutes ago. I, I love that. Just like that's just wrong. It's just objectively yeah. wrong with how you tell the story. Um, I, I disaster movies kind of do that, right? It's like who yes. lives, who dies. You know, except this is just so far off the rails. Oh yeah, yeah. But I'm mean, like, imagine the sort of the scripting and taking this to the studio, and I'm pretty sure they sort of they were like, you know, look, if we aim here we will get this. And, you know, if we get that, that's what we sort of want. And they've gone in with this and the studio has gone. Yes. And then they're like, Oh, okay. Well, we've now, we've now asked for Tom Jones to be on screen for 30 minutes. <laughs> I, I, I better put it in. <laughs> uh, I've asked for Jack Nicholson to play two characters. I better put it in. <laughs> It feels just like that. Like they've just gone in and gone. Do you know what? Let's really swing for the. It's going to not swing for the fences, and then see what see what the, the studio say. And the studio just kept saying yes, and they've gone. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> give me five minutes. I'll come back with a story point for it. Yeah, I, it's like those stories of uh, from directors of where they shot. Uh, they asked for like more violence. Uh, and then, you know, certain things were little things were taken out, but they left like the, the, the brutal murder or something. And it's like, we didn't even want this. This is what we put it. We asked for so we could get this other stuff. 
and then we got it and you know or or like we gave this to the mpaa and they didn't you know that was the stuff that was designed to get their objection mm. so we could you know get the r instead of the the nc17 and then they left it in <laughs> so now we're stuck with this really brutal violence or something um, yeah i mean there is something and, and it's so weird because there there are obvious moments where i think i want more budget i want the studio mm -hmm. to have said yes to more but then there are other ways like the tom jones stuff that's so self-indulgent and you think how did they let this happen well that's it because you do think like if, if you were a producer on this film you know and you're saying Right, so you want more scenes of zany violence than, I'm sorry, you dropped Tom Jones. You know, we don't need him. He's not really integral to the plot. Um, no. You know, keep the Danny DeVito character alive and use that instead. And, you know, do something different. Um, and that saves us however much, right, that can go into this other scene that you want to do. Um, yeah, there's some odd choices made. Um, <laughs> that uh, I'm pretty sure there would have been people behind the scenes scratching their heads and be like, I'm, <laughs> I'm not sure what Tim's doing today. Uh, yeah. So, so on that point, I mean, you said like, uh, I mean, part of what I find so charming about this is that it is a, you know, like you convince people to give you a hundred million dollars to make an Ed Wood movie. <laughs> you know? And that's, it's so clearly what this is. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, one of my favorite movies, Natural Born Killers, is kind of like, you know, yeah, Oliver Stone can do Platoon. He's hot mm -hmm. off, you know, sort of JFK, which is, you know, whatever one thinks about its content, a cinematic masterpiece in terms of style and, and writing. Uh, and, and then he's like, yeah, I want to do a B movie about, you know, killers, uh, you know, and you're like, okay. Um <laughs> And I think both came out of the 90s and were kind of shocks to me as as fans of those directors. But you, there is this feeling, and I, I'm not uh, unsympathetic to it, that you mentioned earlier of kind of like, maybe that's not a good idea to do a $100 million yeah. Ed Wood movie with the same errors. <laughs> yeah, and that's it. I think some, you know, it's it ha you see it happen in all media, don't you, really? I mean, there are authors that you know are amazing well you know stephen king or even i can think like clive barker that you know they start off amazing with these really tight taut sort of like you know novels and this sort of thing and then all of a sudden this sort of like 800 page thing two tomes drops on your desk and you know <sighs> well stephen king is probably going to sell so do you know what as an editor you're probably going to go right steve you need to lose this and this no i'm not doing that all right <laughs> out it goes and that's it and that yeah. you know it, it's and then you sort of all of a sudden the, the fans go well it wasn't his best work you know that's when you get like tommy knockers and and other a couple of others and it, i think under it, the dome under the dome yeah i didn't even get 100 pages into that one Oof. um uh but you get it with i'm, I'm assuming like directors are the same you know what you say there's mm -hmm. a moment in studios where they just go like you said, this guy just keeps hitting him at the park. Whatever he touches, it turns to gold. And then you get, you know, I mean, not this is a terrible film, but you do get films that they sort of look are overindulgent or, you know, vanity projects and that sort of thing. You know, the Lord of the Rings were amazing. Look how much, look at that. They've made Tolkien mainstream. Oh, let's do it again with a 200-page novel. <laughs> 
What do you want to do? Yeah, right. <laughs> the Hobbit. Oh, all right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you know, I, I often think about this, like there are certain cases where we celebrate that somebody just went crazy, right? And they just made like the most them version of the movie possible. And then there are other directors where we feel like maybe they need to be reined in a little, right? Like they've got a lot of talent, a lot of good ideas, but you know, you need that control. Uh, you need that editor. You need that, that hand there. Um, and I tend to feel, you know, I, I feel differently on a case by case basis. And maybe it's just whether it works for me ultimately or not. Um, I feel like, uh, I feel like, you know, Snyder can't be reined in. I mean, mm. I, I don't like Snyder uh, doing playing in the DC universe. I've been very un unhappy overall with those films, but when he's allowed to do his own thing, and you know, there's not uh, as much corporate interference, presumably. Uh, you know, I think yeah, it is what it is, and it's uh, a, a piece of uh, weird candy that ultimately I don't know what it has to say, but it's amazing. And I think uh, I kind of feel that way about Burton. I mean, I think um, you know, I mean, I'm not as much of a fan of Sleepy Hollow and and, and some of the later stuff. Um, and he and he does a good job. Um, and, and Sleepy Hollow is better than, you know, uh, Planet of the Apes and, mm -hmm. and some other stuff. But, I mean, when, you know, I do love uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, but, you know, uh, for different reasons. But when, when Burton, I feel like he's somebody who, like Snyder, when he's let loose, the worst thing you're going to get is something like this, which I'm still going to love. And yeah. maybe you needed a little more editorial guidance, but... But still, I, I feel as if he is too constrained by uh, having to, to fit within a franchise or a script. Whereas somebody like David Lynch, the best, I, the movie I like most that he ever made is Dune, where he was the, at his most controlled by the, the corporate guidance. Um, and there are people who I want to be kind of reined in. Yeah, no, it's true. And I think the thing is, you, sort of, you, you see that in, in Burton. Um, and again, I think it's plot constraints. I mean, if you look at like what Burton does when he's sort of you know those smaller films, some some of my favorite. I mean, I actually I actually really like Sleepy Hollow, but I love Beetlejuice. Love it. I adore Beetlejuice, probably from a nostalgia point of view as well. But also, I love Edward Scissorhands. Me too. I think Edward Scissorhands is a beautiful fairy tale. And I, th you know, it's, it's it's perfect in almost every way. Um, I like the I like eighty nine Batman for a number of different reasons. It's not Batman, Batman, granted, but it's still I think it's still a really good film. Mm. Uh, but it's you you see a difference there. You know that when you watch something like Edward Scissorhands or uh, Beetlejuice, or that's Burton Unleashed, but on a constrained budget because he wasn't the name yet. Or yeah. there was something else there. There was something to control him, and I, you know, and you get something that's that's classic, <clears throat> and you know, really gold. And then when he is let loose on a franchise, a little bit, and again, it's not that I don't like it. You get Batman Returns. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, or Planet of the Apes. Now I love Batman Returns, but it's uh, for all the wrong reasons. But um. <laughs> 
Um, well, I, w- I was going to say that the comparison there for me is, is you know, you're making good point is like between Batman and Batman Returns. I mean, there were a lot of eyes on Burton doing Batman. I mean, it's his third, you know, full length motion picture. Yeah, he's had great success, but he's in a different league. Mm. And there were just a lot of eyes on that and and decisions he got away with. But uh, but then obviously he's got more of a free, free reign on Batman Returns and it's a, a little bit more of a birds and picture in some ways. And I think it suffers for it. I mean, it's still got a bunch of zany ideas, but it doesn't and beautiful scenes, but it doesn't come together and kind of gel the way the first one does. Or as you say, Edward Scissorhands or, or Beetlejuice mm. do. Yeah, and that's it. And uh, you know, you see it in those. It's sort of like you know that that reigns being loosened in a universe where the reign shouldn't be loosened, and it's fine in his own universe. Mm-hmm. And it's the same with um, Planet of the Apes. Again, like this, the, the, the makeup effects in that, in that film are fantastic. Like, I won't fault them for that. You know, they make some odd choices at times, but overall, it looks great. It's yeah. not a good film. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's sort of, and um, again, it's that thing where you go, what, why do you give Burton this science, you know, sci-fi when you've seen that that's not really mm. his, his, his thing? And then later and um, <clears throat> later, you see other things that Burton's involved with. And when you have his touch, and again, where it's probably a new technology or something with him to sort of, he's with somebody else, a creative force. You get some amazing things, you know. I mean, I don't know if you've seen mm-hmm. uh, the Corpse Bride and Nightmare Before Christmas, yeah. and uh, I I love uh, Frankenweenie. <laughs> oh, uh, me too. And you know, I, it, I grew up on the the short. Yes, in fact. Yeah. Yeah. And so when he, you know, again, it's a smaller budget, it's a controlled medium, and they're brilliant. And I think they're massively underrated. But when it's got a big budget and he goes off on one, it becomes messy. And um, again, I, th- I think there are two Burtons. I think you know Burton mm-hmm. lost his confidence, and you, uh, you know, I don't know if you've seen his version of Dark Shadows. Yes, um, I have. And and again, I think it's a an awful film. Um, <laughs> but he's, you know. <laughs> You know, it, it could have been great. It could have been the Adams, you know, because I, I really like the 90s Adams family. It could have been the mm-hmm. new that for the next generation. Um, but it, it's just, I don't know, there's just something about Burton that when he's in his world or he's la- allowed to explore something from his perspective and he's got a controlled environment that's mm-hmm. stopping him from going too mad, like he produces gold. And then other times it just it's like an open canvas with paint going everywhere. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, but I mean, he did uh, he did big eyes. You know, big eyes is very mm-hmm. controlled. I mean, and, and I think one of his, one maybe one, maybe his best film of, of the last several several years. Um, but I mean, you know, how much do we know about the production of these movies? Like, you know, with Planet of the Apes, I it feels like. That's not a heavily Burton influenced script to me. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like that movie has many Burton touches. Dark Shadows feels like it has more, but I don't know like how these scripts were produced. I mean, Planet of the Apes has always felt to me like a script that existed beforehand and and Burton shot it. It does mm-hmm. not feel like a Burton movie. Um, 
Dark Shadows does, but you know, I mean, Sleepy Hollow does, but I don't, I don't think that Burton has the clout anymore to just kind of shoot what he wants, like Mars Attacks. Uh, I think that he he is being constrained, but I think that he's sort of getting these projects that don't necessarily fit him or where he's not. I don't know. I mean, maybe it's it's just the luck of the draw what ends up working. But my feeling is always that he's not he takes certain liberties that that don't work uh, for you and, and, and for me in most cases. But uh, but then at times I feel like he's not being given enough liberties to really let loose with a character or let loose with a plot and make it a little more Burton-esque. Well, and I, I agree. I think there are certain directors, and I think Burton is one of them. If you want to go with the auteur sort of theory, <clears throat> is that Burton, any, every Burton film exists in a Burton universe. Now, I'm not talking <laughs> shared universe. I'm not talking right. Marvel Cinematic Universe. But they exist in a Burton-esque universe. <clears throat> it's almost like Dr. Seuss. Mm-hmm. You know, if you think, oh, none of those stories are connected. They don't matter. But they are very Seuss-esque, you know. Um, green eggs and ham, you know, uh, cat in a hat, all that kind of stuff. It all has that Seussian, uh, you know, uh, weirdness and, and that sort of thing. And it's the same for Tim Burton in that way that those Burton films that really work of just they exist in a Burton-esque world. Um, and that's why I think when you, and, you know, when you look at them in that sense, so to me, I would say that I mean, you don't see the wider world, but Beetlejuice is a very Burton-esque world. You know, it's sort of everything mm-hmm. about it. It's very Burton-esque. It's sort of um, the way he likes to play about with um, the real world or the suburban world and the freak world or the, the alternative world. Same with Edward Scissorhands. You know, mm-hmm. he plays with all that. Um, all of those feel very Burton-esque. And I feel the same with Sleepy Hollow in many cases. I remember I love that. I do really enjoy that film. And the same again, when he does play in someone else's sandbox, um, like you say, it's almost like, look, bring your Burton-esqueness, but not your Burton-esqueness. You know, it's sort of like, <laughs> what we yeah. want is we want your name recognition and a little bit of your uh, styling, but not, mm-hmm. not so much that it becomes Burton-esque. And so it becomes a version of what he can create. And that's when I think it sort of, it it doesn't work because it's neither one thing or the other. Um, You know, to mean to talk, if you want to talk Ed Wood, it's not, uh, it's not Arthur or Martha, you know, it's, (laughs) it's, um, (laughs) it becomes that. And I think that's when you see Planet of the Apes, and even Dark Shadows. The only place I think he worked that it worked when he played in somebody else's is Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Mm-hmm. Because if anything, I know everyone goes on about the, the Gene Wilder 70s version and stuff, and it's it's good, it's fine. But I honestly feel that there's a that the the Tim Burton one, despite its sort of like verbose rollings of, of um ch- uh, Willy Wonka's origin story, which I hate that part. But the rest of the sensibility feels so much more Roald Dahl than mm. the Gene Wilder one. Um, yeah, I've had, I've had arguments about this. I mean, I, but I think that, you know, for me, 
um, you know, uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory sort of uh, feels like an Oingo Boingo movie. You know, like, it, it, and I love Oingo Boingo. Uh, it, it feels like a forbidden zone with a hundred million dollar budget. Um, you know, and I, you know, look, I, I love that that thing, but there are, you know, problems with that movie that I think are very parallel to Mars Attacks. Um, mm. You know, and it, it has a similar sort of like, what tone is this? Like, you know, yeah. uh, you know. Um, Willy Wonka is a horrible person. These children are really suffering. This is not, you know, and and it's like, well, I'm glad that the the poor kid, you know, who seems to be a good guy makes good, but this poverty is not at all charming. And and he makes good by sucking up to this eccentric. I mean, there's no meritocracy to this. It's an eccentric murderer. Um, yeah. So I mean. And nobody is really likable, uh, well, except for, you know, the main couple characters. But I think it has some sort of parallels to Mars Attacks for me as a kind of, like, um, movie that I can't forget that has those Burton-esque elements that, like all of the cartoon violence in this, um, that mm. I adore and I think of all the time, but that also sort of, like, is in a movie that there are parts that I, I, I want to speed up or, or edit down. Yeah, and that's that, that's that tonal issue, isn't it? Like, mm -hmm. like you just said, like, who who is it for? <laughs> um, and to be honest, it's for Tim Burton. Let's be honest, that's that's who it's for. Um, but yeah, you're right, and that, that, I think you know, going, going back to Mars Attacks, I think that's the biggest problem with this film is its um, its tone of, of of you know, and like I said, either be zany or be a disaster film, mm -hmm. or you know. Those sorts of things. Um, when it is zany and it's all out, it really works. And it's I have a big smile on my face <laughs> and I'm all in on it. And I'm like, yeah, this is great. When it starts to try and do something else, um, I start to lose, like you said, I lose interest. And I'm like, okay, keep rolling. I don't care. Like, you know, it's not. I'm not interested enough in these people. Right. I haven't had either had enough time with them, or the characters are too two dimensional. You know, it's it's not. It's not interesting enough um, to keep me invested. Um, but overall, I have to say, it 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 doesn't work as a as a it doesn't it doesn't work as a as a as a piece, but. Does, I mean, it's that thing. Does it? It doesn't work as a piece, but it definitely works as almost like a. I want to say an experiment. Um, in some way. Yeah, but I mean that's true of Ed Wood movies. I mean, you know, they no, don't work, but they, but they have these wonderful yeah. moments. They have these these yeah. things that stick with us. That you know, uh, partially because they're not in control of themselves, and and yeah, there's the, like the difference between. Uh, what is it? Camp and kitsch, right? You know, mm. like you cannot imit, you cannot deliberately make it campy, right? Is the theory. Uh, it's hard to imitate the odd, uh, not brain dead, but the odd sort of like blind spots of Ed Wood to his own work. Um, although this comes pretty close. Uh, mm. but, I mean, I, I think that one thought about those, those sort of um, zany moments is, I, you know, I'm not the biggest Tom Jones fan, 
And I, you know, to me, it's like you're ending this way. Like this is not this is a character introduced 30 minutes ago. I mean, like the animals like you haven't seen, you've seen the dove, you've seen, you know, the dog, you've seen a few animals, but the idea that the animals come out and they're just like a falcon lands on Tom Jones. I mean, it's so over the top and doesn't fit. But but what I'm what I'm trying to say is that a zany thing that doesn't fit. If you're like, yes. I don't know what that tone is, I don't know why that's, but it's just so zany and it's so uniquely it's, itself that you say, hell, if that didn't work for me, there's another zany thing in a minute, right? Yeah. Or at least it's uniquely itself that I that I love it for how bizarre it is. And all the stuff I don't like in this movie is, is that like disaster movie narrative is the mm. sort of like need to bow to, you know, um, you know, to convention. Two two things I'm just thinking about from how you know I can see why this would work. First thing though, if you're going to introduce that your saving grace, the thing that's going to save the planet, is music, mm-hmm. whether it be awful or not, and then have a singer as one of the survivors, mm-hmm. and then not have him use his voice in any way. Because, you know, I'm pretty sure Tom Jones could hit some notes <laughs> and do some yodeling. You want Zany, have Tom Jones doing some yeah. Welsh some Welsh choir, some <laughs> music, Welsh yodeling. That just seems like a massive missed opportunity to me. Um, that that yeah. sounds like an episode of Red Dwarf, like, you know, well, it's nobody in the galaxy can stand Welsh yodeling. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. That's that's what that should be. But if you wanted sort of that, that just seems like a if you've got Tom Jones there, you have him sing, and that they literally cut him off as he's about to sing. Um but the other thing is there was a game that came out in and, and there's been updates of it and upgrades and stuff, it was called Kill All Humans. Oh, I'm a big fan. That's yeah, and I can see why that game, because I, I played an earlier version of it uh, when it first came out. I can see why that game and this film that that game is this film from Absolutely. the Martian's perspective. That's and that is why I can imagine that when I loved playing that game and the top cards work and that sort of thing is because yeah. you become engaged with that zany violence and all the the disaster film drama goes out the window. Doesn't matter exactly. Exactly. Um, I don't want that stuff. Give me the crazy cars. I want more of those any creative gremlins violence, you yeah. know, bizarre stuff, you know, disturb me, disturb the parents, you know, let me not know how what to make of it, whether it's like the final card is Tom Jones with some animals and it's like peace restored, you know, yeah. like, I mean, I, I, I don't get it, but it, it's, it's wonderful. And you're right about destroy all humans. Like that's that obviously, I mean, when that came out, I was just like, Oh, it's Mars attacks, you know, yeah. uh, but it's so much fun, you know, and, and you get to play the Martians and again, tap into that joy of the cards and the joy of the bowling ball and, and the Washington mm. monument and stuff like that. So I think what we're actually saying there is if you really want to, you know, if you like this film, but you want to really mm. enjoy it, go play destroy all humans. <laughs> Very true. And, and also, um, you know, uh we need a remake uh mm. whether it's of this or of uh destroy all humans that is just a more uh expensive current uh special effects mm-hmm. um 
you know, version of this that that fixes some of these problems. And imagine what you could do now if you, you know, especially with CGI today. I mean, of course, there's the problem of sort of like the uncanny valley. Like, would it be as tolerable to see like, you know, uh, just terrible, terrible violence? But I mean, hey, go for it. I mean, somebody will love that. I, I desperately want the zany, uncompromised sort of Mars attacks in a post Deadpool world when, mm. when they've been able to do, when they've been able to pull off Deadpool, you can do anything. However, what mm-hmm. I would say is in a creative, uh, you know, all kinds of things are happening. Now you can do anything from a release point of view. And I think we've talked about this before about other things that have released sort of like 10 minute shorts here. And, you know, there's episodes, Either don't make a remake of the film because that means you know you can have the violence and everything, but that's only going to be ninety minutes, maybe a bit longer. Forget that. Let do a series of mm. ten-minute shorts that tell a story in the same way that the that the um, cards do, but each one's a snippet, and then use you know we've got such varied animation to use now. And you could do CGI, you could do 2D animation, you could do it, make it look like uh, Adventure Time or Rick and Morty or hell, make it look like Masters of the Universe from the 80s. I don't care. But you could do that. And all you did, each one is just a shocking 10 minute, maybe even less than that, five, mm-hmm. six yeah. minutes short of it's a, it's a setup, it's some violence, it's a punchline. Yeah, and maybe you have a different, you know, it's like elaborating on a card, right? I mean, you, you might have a different. I mean, one of the things that I think this movie does do well is that there are these moments where I think, uh, oh, that's, that's, you know, I can see what the card would be. But there are minutes before it and sometimes, you know, a half a minute or a minute afterward that all work really well around that sort of event. Um so it's like, yeah, it is kind of a dramatization of this card, but it's fleshed out. It's not just all about that one moment. And and I think that's it does that really well, and that's very satisfying to me. So I think that's a brilliant idea. Um, I, I, would, I love what you said about sort of like shorter length or variable length, mm-hmm. like, you know, online episodes where, yeah. you know, they can be two minutes, they can be 10 minutes. Uh, if that scene of like the the Martians raiding the sorority or whatever, you know, um, you know, is, uh, you know, a three minute scene. There's not a lot to go there. You know, that's fine. Yeah. And I think, you know, if you really adult, this is the kind of thing I can imagine it being kind of like um, Adult Swim or, um, you know, one of those sorts of channels or even, I don't know, anyone could do this. A great moment is, you know, because this is all about a a snapshot, isn't it? That card provides you with an image. As long as you provide that image during Mm -hmm. your your runtime, go nuts. I don't care. Do whatever you want. Just make it funny and shocking. And, you know, again, we're talking in a post-Rick and Morty world, in 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 a world where you've got things like Rick and Morty and Robot Chicken and... Um, you know, all these different, if anything, do it in different mediums. So, I'd love it if, mm-hmm. like, yeah, one episode's two minutes, it's 2D animation, then we've got one that's stop motion, and then I've got another one that's full CGI. <laughs> it would be ace, you know. 
Um, yeah, I like I like that idea. I also like that you could have you know like oddly touching, well written sort of like uh, yeah. five to ten minute shorts in the middle of just ones that are tonally very different. And I think one of the things that I love about the cards is that uh, the narrative is so sparse mm-hmm. that you can kind of like insert more cards. And they have you know uh, a couple times when they re released the set, they've added a few more cards. And, you know, you can slot them in where you want. Um, You know, there's an official order, which who cares? But, you know, you could slot them in where you want and kind of play with it. And and it has a very sort of uh, structure like you're talking about where you could, you know, just do another five minute episode. I mean, whatever you want to do, you can do it with this story. It's just set during an alien evasion. So if you want to do like a story set on the Tokyo subway, do a story set on Tokyo Subway. It can yeah. be five minutes. It can be 10, whatever. It can be zany. It can be oddly serious. That's fine. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like you say, you know, I, I think the, the thing with these cards and this concept is we've had the Tim Burton uh, version. That's the thing. We've had that. And again, a bit like, you know, we, we, we've sort of, I think we've discussed this about this with other characters and stuff. Like, you know, using Batman, for example, you've had across comics and film, you've had the Tim Burton version of Batman. You've had the Scott Snyder version of Batman. You've had the Frank Miller version of Batman. You've had the Joel Schumacher version. You've had all these different versions, all valid, all people like them, people hate them, whatever. So far, you've had the Topps cards and Tim Burton. Like, all right, let's bring in um, the guys who created Rick and Morty. Make them, they can do some. And then the guys who make mm, mm-hmm. um, something else. Like, you know, you make, like, here's, here's four cards. Bang, 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 go. Here's your card. <laughs> go. You know, and just give them to these creators. Yeah, or, or propose something, right? It doesn't <laughs> yeah, have to be well, based on a card. It's just like, hey, you know, go for it. Yeah, here's your here's the, the core concept. It's mm-hmm. Mars attacks. It's got to have those Martians in. It's going to be zany <laughs> violence. There's, there's going to be a punchline, and that's it. Do what you want sort of thing. Yeah, bring in the guys, uh, was it Miller and Thingy who did like Lego Batman and the Lego movie and that sort of thing. Like it could be childish and silly, or it could be dark, or it could be anything. I think it, I think you know that's an IP that they haven't done enough with. And in this world of, of short attention span on MTV or or Adult Swim or Cartoon Network, like that's just perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And and now we have all these uh, shows on YouTube now, mm. you know, that they might have, you know, that are releasing first on YouTube. Um, some of them are official YouTube shows, but some of them are just channels that are making money this way uh, with ads. So, you know, it would seem to me that that is a perfect, you know, digital is a perfect medium because you can have that varied length. Mm. Um, you know, you don't have to fill... I mean, sometimes like, you know, Adult Swim just kind of like will cut off the uh, anime show at the end of, you know, the 22 minute block. And you're like, I think they were about to do something. Uh, Where were we as you start the next one? But um, yeah, I I think that's a brilliant idea. And and it's sort of um, uh, better than just a a remake. And it sort of um, captures that idea of those cards Mm. in... Uh, sort of episodic form, right? Mm-hmm. Each episode is just like one card or a couple card, combining a couple or whatever, uh, you know, but they can be slotted between each other. They're just these little moments, these little shots of the story. 
Yeah, I, th- I think that could be a, I'd be a load of fun to do that. I think we, you know, if anyone's because they, they, they have used it. The only time I've ever know, I've, I've known that the IP has been used since is IDW did Mars Attacks, the IDW comics, and they had like yes. Mars Attacks Transformers, Mars Attacks Ghostbusters, Mars Mars Attacks Judge Dread was yes was brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. Yeah, you know, I, I think uh, yeah, I don't I don't know who owns. I assume it's still Tops that owns the 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 rights. And, yeah, but yeah, I think that I, I think that's a you know use it. You know, I think that in this day and age, Absolutely. I think that'd be a great success. But... Well, and you always have these great ideas, both for how to you know improve the movie and also like you know you managed to trump me. Like I, I'm like I want more of this. Here's what we could do, and you're like, well, no, I've got an idea here. Um, yeah, nothing, yeah, nothing ever comes of these damn things. Though. I'm still not being paid for them. One day, we'll, well you should be. <laughs> I, I, I was going to ask before we wrap up. Um, you know, you were talking about like the '90s and, and nostalgia. Uh, you know, what else do you think about sort of like how this ages or, or watching this in our current time? Um. Again, we talked about the special effects. I think the special effects worked for me as a nostalgia thing. As sort of, because it's a B movie, like I'm happy to see the sort of the seams a little bit. Um, it's funny seeing a younger cast, especially sort of Pierce Brosnan in his sort of like uh, Bond era years. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think it's one of those that sort of like because I watched this in my teens. I tap into that zaniness from that nostalgia purpose. You know, it's that thing of like when I was a kid, I'm like, oh, this is this isn't crazy. This is so silly. And it sort of taps into that adolescence and that sort of thing. Like, if you were to show this to kids now of the same age, I don't know, sort of like mid-teens, I don't I don't, I don't know if it'd work at all, to be <laughs> honest. I, I just don't know. What about you? Um, well, I mean, I like the I like the stuff that I can't understand in terms of tone mm-hmm. um i think i think you know pierce brosnan uh you know kissing the reporter as they're both severed heads <laughs> rolling accidentally <laughs> rolling into each other it's it's just like it's like what am i is that am i supposed to think that's romantic and beautiful as they die they just met it is romantic and beautiful and yet so utterly bizarre i don't know how i'm supposed mm-hmm. to feel about this i and i and i think we need more of that in, mm. in literature and art. Um, but I but I was struck by uh, sort of the, uh, you know, in, like politics has become dumber. Yeah. And, and I think like we live more in the world of Mars Attacks now than when I watched it. Like <laughs> watching just the like, you know, why, why do you have you appointed the scientist who clearly knows nothing, yeah. you know, that's sort of like, uh, you know, Jack Nicholson just going with with what he feels like, and then you know everybody's watching it on TV, and you know they're watching this horror movie unfold, and they're just making smart ass comments, you know. Um, but what struck me the most was when um, you know, the president has they has decided now we really have to do this, and the violent general says, you know, here's the order to use the nukes. And the president just immediately backs off and he gives this speech about how the people need to know the schools are going to be open. 
The trash is going to yes. be collected. You know, like normalcy is still here. And I thought, oh, God, that's COVID, right? Yeah. Like, you know, the response to watching, my response to watching this is like, oh, shit, we're in an alien invasion. I'm going to those caves right now. Yeah. I'm making an escape plan with my family. Here's what we're stockpiling. And the rest of the world is like, you know, uh, you know, look, we can't close those schools. You know, we got to say, what are the kids going to do all day while the aliens are killing us? Just because people die from alien invasions doesn't mean you have to shut down bars. <laughs> it did, there was a moment that, and especially, especially not not with COVID, but with obviously like the, you know, the the uh, the Black Lives Matter protests and everything else, and that, that as you say, that speech where he's like, "Can't we all just get along?" <laughs> just that exasperation of him, and I was there was that thing of like, you know, I I. I I'm just tired of having to deal with these things. Just get on, you know, and it's sort of, um, yeah, it did feel like that. Weirdly, I'd say, do you think that Jack Nicholson's president this is a Republican or a Democrat? I don't know. I mean, I, I, I guess he's got to be a Democrat if he doesn't want to nuke him on day one, you know. Uh, I mean, because he, he is open to you know, uh, the ambassador and and gives him a chance multiple times. He's happy to find out that Mm. uh, it was a mistake. And they said, you know, uh, we apologize formally. So, you know, let them speak to Congress. Uh, So I guess he has to be a Democrat. What what did you think? I I don't know. I was like, I I thought the same. I was like, you know, there were times I was like, yeah, he's going to have to be a Democrat. But then to have Jack Nicholson play a Democrat just felt really odd. Yeah. (laughs) Nicholson's fun. I mean, and, and he doesn't get as many just kind of like fun roles as he used to. You know, I, I mean, I don't know what was the last thing he was in, but I mean, uh, it, it's fun seeing Nicholson yeah. play the president. That seems like such a no brainer. Mm. I think he's, he's one of those actors, I think, that, you know, I think people, they remember certain roles, and I think other roles get forgotten. Like he's, you know, everyone will always remember. I don't know for a certain generation, certain type. I always remember he was, you know, Tim Burton's Joker, and mm-hmm. everyone always remembers him as Jack Torrance, you know, and this other thing. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, but he has done like other films where he's really good, and I think this is a really good example. Uh, there's another film called The Pledge, which is a, a mystery film. He's, he's excellent in, but then also I don't know if you've seen Witches of Eastwick. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's and moments, he's good in that. He's fantastic, and I just think, yeah, he's he's uh, you know, sometimes it's sort of people just think him now as Jack Nicholson, the sort of slightly pervy older man. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I mean, you know, even the slightly pervy Nicholson. I mean, uh, I I will say, as good as it gets, the la- last yeah. few times I've seen it is is a solid movie, and his performance, while more serious, is really staggeringly good. What was all he was like a depressed older man as well? Um, what about Schmidt? Oh, yeah, yeah. So he's done a variety of things, yeah. obviously, one flew over the cuckoo's nest as well. So, um, oh, yeah, God. and um, I haven't seen the prequel series Ratcheted yet, and I don't intend to at this point. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I think, I think Jack Nicholson is, is probably almost like the center, he's the rock in this film. He's just, <laughs> he's just, he is very, very good. Um, yeah. and he needs more I mean 
that also, you know, the the invasion and his death. Uh, I mean, him watching his wife be murdered by chandelier, and you know, <laughs> the kids saving him, and then the war room, and there's that great bit well, where the Martians roll in a grenade, and it turns out to just be a snow globe. You know, <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, there, there's some good bits there, uh, and then of course, they can't we all just get along? You know, uh, which also. I feel a little humbled by because I have this sort of uh, narcissistic um, innate belief that if I just find the magic words, I'll be able to convince somebody to, to mm. love me or stay or, or do the right thing politically, you know? Uh, and he seems like, you know, it is that like the music comes story moment in film, but it, you know, where somebody gives the rowering speech uh, and of course, it does, it backfires, but it's also the sort of like, yeah, that's your narcissistic president who's like, you know, I'm going to tell it to the American people and they will understand. Yeah. They'll side with me. No. Yeah. Well, I, I do love that moment that he does give that speech to the sort of the ambassador, the, the ruler of the Martians. And it is this thing about sort of like, you know, and he makes some fantastic little moments in there. He says, think about Earth. And Mars <laughs> working together, and it's a whole thing, but it's constantly about Mars being slightly smaller, and, and he makes it, <laughs> and it's, it's it, but it ends with before before it ends, um, the, the Martian master rolls a tear, yes, and um, you think, oh, wait a minute, this isn't going to go, and then obviously it goes a very different <laughs> way, um, but again, like, I, I don't. I, again, it's poking fun without knowing it at um, Independence Day, you know, because you, you've got that incredibly bombastic sort of rah-rah speech by Bill Pullman in that film. And it's exactly the same thing, but with a very different ending. And I just think, you know, it's uh, that that I love that, that it cuts into that. Well, it's, it just goes to show because, I mean, there's they didn't know what no. was going to happen, how how by the numbers Independence Day really is. Right? Yeah. <laughs> that that you can parody it, not planning, not knowing what you're parodying. Yeah. It's one of those films that we may probably cover one day, but like it's there's, there's not enough there to talk about because it is so by the book. Like, you know, um, yeah, even the dog survives. Um well, I mean, it, oddly, what I like about Independence Day is what I like about Mars Attack. I just want to see the violence. Yeah. Just everybody, the money shot is the White House blowing up, right? I don't care about these characters. I don't even want the humans to win. I just want, you know, we go to these movies to see the carnage. Mm-hmm. So, you know, cut to the carnage, man. You know, yeah. I don't need your uh, Michael Bay, you know, three hour long movie about, you know, the the intricacies or, you know, titanic right you know the intricacies of of everybody's life before this event you know show me the money shot show me the titanic tearing apart show me the white house being destroyed um you know that's what we're going to see man yeah that's it that's what paying the money to see yeah most films you're paying to see the last sort of like 45 minutes of a film really aren't you let's be honest um okay i think we've sort of we've covered quite a lot there on 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 mars attacks i think for uh uh a daft mid nineties B movie. <laughs> uh, I think we've covered quite a lot, which I'm really pleased with. Uh, so anyway, but any last one, let's just do a, a last round. So last minute thoughts on Mars attacks, Julian, what, what are your thoughts? Uh, I love how idiosyncratic it is. I love how it lets itself be weird. I love even its errors. 
because they got away with it. And, you know, I mean, the stuff I don't like, uh, you know, I still think that's it's charming that this even exists as a movie. Um, and we went through some some other Burton stuff that, that we think doesn't succeed as well. Um, you know, I think that Mars Attacks is pretty unapologetically itself. And I don't like everything in it, but I love that it exists. And I'm and when it hits a high note, it's amazingly high. Mm. Um, what are your thoughts? No, I, I agree. It's one of those films that when it works, it really works. Like there are moments from this film that like I hadn't seen this for years, you know, probably talking like 10, 12 years. But there are still moments from this film, like, you know, just in my brain that I remember. Uh, and, you know, it makes me chuckle. Like, this film brings a smile to my face. When it doesn't work, it's not terrible. I mean, that's the point. Yeah, we've been, you know, d- digging into it and tearing it to pieces a little bit. But it's never, in my opinion, terrible. It, it gets a little boring at times. But, it, you know, it's not mm-hmm. awful. There's no awful performances. There's no terrible, you know, editing or that. It just goes a bit off the rails. So, as a whole, it's just good fun. You know, like you said, it doesn't take itself too seriously. It's not really asking you to... If you wanted to watch this film and just enjoy it, you can. You yeah. That, and that's what's a, a, a real joy of it. Is like, it's, it's, it's like watching a Tom and Jerry cartoon. Of, yeah, we're not trying to make a big <laughs> statement. We just want to blow stuff up and sort of, you know, hit each other with frying pans. Brilliant. Go for it. Um, it's just one of those of... It sort of sits between the line of should have gone further or mm-hmm. should have been held back. And I'm not sure which when I watch it, I'd probably have to sort of think about that really sort of having to watch it, you know, time and again, but I, I would recommend it as a, as a, as a go and see it, you know, um, just for a hell of a fun. Yeah. Just for the fun of it really. Yeah. And it's, and it's held up as a kind of like a little bit of a cult movie. You know, it was seen as a, I mean, it made like a hundred million at the box office. I mean, it, it was a disappointment and then one of Burton's, you know, first commercial, you know, failures. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it, it's, it has a cold following I and mean, people do remember this movie. Yeah. yeah. Well, I have to remember, I sort of, uh, I followed, I remember, I remember going to see this at the cinema and, mm-hmm. you know, watching it this time, um, it's one of those films I'd love to know more of. Like, what's the behind the scenes? Um, and so I do. That's something I'd like to know more. Like, what you know, as we as we sort of uh, guessed about them, sort of like making ludicrous decisions <laughs> to be shut down. Is that the case, or what else happened? I'd like to know more. I would like to be. I'd be interested to see what what that was. But yeah, no, it's good fun. I'd recommend this. It's a it's a, it's a good time. Okay, but we've we've done some fun. We've had some fun in the last couple of films. We've done Bill and Ted. We've, in fact, the last couple of films have been all very, uh, you know, Bill and Ted. We had uh, we've done this. We're we next uh, in the next episode. We're going to be doing our first Steven Spielberg um, film, and our second. I think it's second. Um, I'm sure is it Philip K. Dick. Um. That wrote it, but we're doing Minority Report. Well, Blade Runner, right? We did Blade Runner, yes. Right. So this is that. So yeah, but Minority Report is is Philip K. Dick. If I remember rightly, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
So we will be doing more next, loosely. But, I mean, they're all loose with Philip yeah. K. adaptation. Yeah. Uh, but the next one we're going to be doing is uh, uh, Minority Report. So it's going to be our first Tom Cruise film as well. So um, the first of many. I mean, you, you can never have enough Tom Cruise, right? Yeah, I don't think Tom Cruise can ever get enough of Tom Cruise. He's uh, <laughs> he's his number one fan. Um, although, you know, he's done some interesting sci-fi films. We um, mm-hmm. we will definitely be talking about Edge of Tomorrow at some point, and uh, um, Oblivion is another one that sort of may get to. Um, but yeah, so Minority Report, and I'm looking forward to talking about that because there's some definite concepts in there that are worth exploring. So uh, we'll save that one. But Julian... This has been an absolute blast, as always, talking about Mars Attacks. Uh, Me so too, bro. Thank you. Uh, I guess it wasn't the dove. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this was wonderful. So thank you very much, and we shall see you, you again next time. <laughs>